Well, thanks, Mark. If uh, you've got that Philippians reading from uh, Philippians chapter 1 uh, handy, it would be great to open that back up again. We're going to be starting our series today in the book of Philippians, well, starting looking at the book of Philippians. We uh, started last week by giving some of the background, and this week uh, we're going to take the time to start in chapter 1. So if you can have that handy, that would be great. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that you've preserved, this letter between friends. I pray today that you might cause it to live afresh and that by your Holy Spirit you would challenge us and the way that we think and the way that we pray. And we ask, Lord, that you might change us to be more and more like Jesus. Do this by your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was chatting with a member of, uh, of my family the other night and um, they been on holidays, and they were telling me about a very bad day, very bad day. So they'd been, uh, they'd, they'd gotten up, had a really hassly time getting to the place. As they went about through this day, so everyone was tired, they were hassling, they got to the place late where they were expecting to catch a ferry and they missed the ferry, and so now the day was just upended. And for the kids, it was a terrible day. They thought, this is, the plans haven't gone right, we're tired, it's horrible, and they were in Lake Como. And I guess what I want to start with is it's possible for our, our circumstances, our, our view of the world around us to, to crunch down so small that we actually miss the context that we're sitting in, right? I am having a very bad day today. And we're in Italy, in Lake Como, one of the most beautiful places in the whole world, right? So if you're going to have a bad day, have a bad day there, right? Sounds all right, doesn't it? I, I, you could, I, I'd swap with you, you know? I'll have your bad day in Lake Como. Is that, is that all right? So here's the thing. Today what I want to do is I want to challenge us to change our view of ourselves, our church, and our prayers. So low, low bar today, okay? That's supposed to be a joke. Uh, it'd be pretty hard to do all three of those things, I think. But what I want to do is nudge us in that direction. I want us to think afresh uh, beyond our little bad day, I want us to say, okay, who are we? Who are we? And then to be thinking to ourselves, what do we pray for ourselves and for those who are around us this morning? Okay, that's my goal. You can tell me on the Karen Connect cards out of 10 how I went at the end. How's that sound? All right, well, let let me start with a little bit of a, a multiple choice, okay, to get us thinking about our own identity. How would you describe your relationship to Jesus? Would you say you're a friend of Jesus? Would you say you're a follower of Jesus? Sounds like the census night again, doesn't it? Uh, Would you say that uh, Jesus is a curiosity to you? A curiosity. Maybe you're a student of Jesus. I like learning from him as a great teacher. Maybe I haven't got your option up there and you'd say something else. Let's have a look at the Bible in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 and see how Paul describes his relationship with Jesus. I'm only going to read uh, the first couple of words. Paul and Timothy, we note that it's a letter from the two of them, Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants 
of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. Paul says that he is a servant or a slave of Jesus. That's how he opens the letter. Let me give you my resume. I am a servant of Jesus. Now, is that, would that have been the first word you would use to describe your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're going more emotional, and so you're thinking, friendly, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in love with Jesus, or something like that. But, but if you were to say, what's, what's the relationship? Paul says, the answer is, for him, servant or slave. Now, if, if, if you were to think about that, what would this description change for you? If you were to say, I am a servant of Jesus, what would have to change for you? What would be different? So if Jesus is my friend, I can hang out with him. If I'm a servant of Jesus, I need to pay attention to my master, don't I? I need to know my master's will. In fact, I've been bought at a price and I am his in a very profound way. You can see that's different, can't you? So Paul opens by saying that he is a slave or a servant of Jesus. Well, how would you describe this gathering, this gathering here? Uh, maybe uh, it's a gathering of friends. It's a gathering of fanatics. You don't take that. That's good. You don't feel your fanatics. That's excellent. Um, I, I love this title. This is just hilarious. God botherers. No one's heard that anymore. Is that right? You're a bunch of God botherers. Well, Jeff and I know. That's good. Okay. Uh, you're a bunch of Anglicans. There's a one for you, isn't it? Someone's checking. Did I come into an Anglican church? I thought, was it called New Life? I didn't know this was an Anglican church. We're a bunch of Anglicans. Maybe, maybe you've got another descriptor for what we're a bunch of, okay? But here's the thing. Have a look at verse 1, and we'll see how Paul addresses the gathering in Philippi. Have a look in, in verse 1. To all God's what? Holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. See, Paul's description is that they are holy people. You could even say saints. Welcome holy people. Welcome saints. That's who you are, according to the scriptures. That you are saints gathered here today. You are holy people. What does this tell us about what we should be like, right? So if I go, I'm just going to just randomly pick some people up. I'm going to stand you up and interview and say, how are you going being a holy person today? That's what we're thinking, aren't we? If we're a gathering called God's holy people, I'm going to assume that there's some holy people out there. Is that right? Look at that. Everyone's sort of going, oh, good. Okay, so here's the thing, right? That, that's, they're pretty challenging. And so their new identity, from, from here we are, verse 1 of the whole book of Philippians, here's our new identity. We are slaves and saints we are slaves and saints, slaves to Jesus and saints in his eyes and by his doing. How can we be like that? Well, it says here that we're saints and slaves in two places. In Philippi, they are saints and slaves in Jesus and at Philippi. In Jesus and at Philippi. How can you be holy? You're holy because the Lord Jesus bought you, cleansed you, and he owns you. you are, your identity is bound up with the identity of Jesus. God sees you as forgiven and free by virtue of counting you as in his son. Isn't that brilliant? So you are in Jesus. And you are, well, you're not at Philippi, are you? 
you're at Oran Park. But here's the thing. We're in Jesus because we've been joined to him and our location matters. We're God's holy people right here. So this gathering is incredibly important. If you think about this, right? Where does God have his holy people in Oran Park today? Well, I assume there's some at the Refuge Baptist Church over there. Brilliant. I hope they're doing really well. And there's some here as well. God is gathering his holy people together so that his servants hear what they're to do and go out into his world. Isn't that brilliant? So you are saints and you are servants or slaves. All right. Well, how do you greet people like that? What's your favorite greeting? Someone call it out. What do you say to people when you meet them? G'day. Love it. Good on you, Jordy. G'day. How you doing? Don't know how many g'days we get anymore, but that's good. I'm glad Jordy's into it. Okay. What else? What else, do you, what else do you say to people when you meet them? Sorry? How are you? That's very nice. How are you? What's up? No, not so much. Okay. Great. Good. Good. Okay. No. Uh, all right, so we, we greet people in different ways. Uh, some of us are very polite, some of us are stupid, some of us are very Australian, okay? Here's the thing, Paul has a favourite greeting. Did you know this? Paul has a favourite greeting. He's writing a letter here. He's already told us who he's writing to, and he has a favourite greeting. His favourite greeting goes together, okay? Can't have one without the other, okay? They always go together in Paul. Have a look with me at verse 2. You'll see his favourite greeting combo. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul's greeting? Grace and peace. Should have done this one. I was watching Star Trek last night. Live long and prosper, right? No, no, no. Grace and peace are Paul's greeting to the church. Grace and peace. Why these two together? Well, grace from God. God took the initiative to offer free and full salvation to you. That's the key. And if you receive it, you will find, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> if you receive it, you'll find the peace that is on offer from God. So grace, because he offered us salvation in Jesus, and peace when we take that key and turn the lock and find free and full forgiveness. So what's Paul's greeting? Grace and peace. It's not just a well wish, it's our theological reality in Jesus. How brilliant. Grace and peace. Do you know these two gifts in your life? Do you know God's grace and have you experienced his peace? Do you know what they are? And if you do, how do you experience them? Not just as a great idea, but as a lived reality. I know the grace of God and I experience and walk in the peace of God. I want you to know that. And it's more, as I said, it's more than just a throwaway line for Paul. It's a theological grounding for the saints who are slaves, that they might know grace and peace. Uh, well, do you know what a good apple is like? What are the distinctives of a good apple? I know a bad apple when I find one. What's, what, well, let's start with that. What's, what's a bad apple? Sorry? Bruised, yes. Flowery, do you know what flowery apples are? Don't like that at all. So what, what's, what's a good apple? What's some distinctives of a good apple? Crunchy. Yeah, okay. I don't want them to be oversized either. I'm a bit weird on this, right? But I don't like those big apples that look like they've fallen from a giant tree, you know? I want a, I want a nice size apple. That can... Anyway, uh, there, there are some distinctives, right? Color, flavor, sweetness, all that. Okay, some distinctives of a good apple. What are some distinctives of a good apple? Okay, very good. Uh, good usability, nice design, all those sorts of things. I know the distinctives of a good apple. 
What are the distinctives of a good Christian? If I was asked you to say, what are the distinctives of a good Christian? What's the fruit in their life? Would, sorry? The spirit. Absolutely. What are the distinctives of the Christian life? I think Paul lays them out for us in this next little section in verses 3 to 6. So have a look with me here. Paul's writing, remember, he's writing a letter and he starts by saying, holy people, servants, grace and peace. And then he says this in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Apart from anything else, it's just flat out beautiful, isn't it? What do we see are the distinctives here of the Christian life? I think the first one is thanksgiving. What does Paul do when he thinks of the Philippians? He gives thanks. The beautifully Christian part of thanksgiving is thanksgiving has an addressee, right? I look at you and I thank my heavenly father for you. It's not just an unaddressed letter. I'm feeling thankful today. I do wonder what the non-Christian does with this. Are you with me? I'm feeling so thankful today. But I'm an atom and a, a delivery of DNA in the cold, godless universe that I live in. It's so funny, isn't it? It's an overflowing of our relationship with our creator, isn't it? My heart is stirred to thankfulness and I address it to my heavenly father. I think it's profoundly Christian. Thanksgiving. And then he says, I, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. What's Paul doing all the time? He's just a praying guy. And I've been talking a little bit recently about worry and prayer. I think worry is the circle in our head that just goes around and around like this. And prayer is taking those worries and turning them into a conversation with the one that can change them. Can you see this? In the echo chamber of our head, we worry. As Christians, we take our worries and we turn them into conversation with our creator. So Paul is a man of prayer and he prays regularly, it seems, for the Philippians. And every time he does so, he does with thanks. And what's this other awesome word? Joy. It's joy, isn't it? Brent, nice, turning around to have a look at someone in the back row. Very well done. Joy, we're delighted that you are with us. Joy is a characteristic of the Christian, not happiness. Joy, rejoicing in the goodness of God and his faithfulness. That is deeper and able to be sustained even in the midst of sorrow and hardship. Joy is a distinctive characteristic. Partnership, it's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Paul says, I started off by founding your church, singing hymns at midnight in jail. Yes? Having met Lydia on the, on the bank on that same day. He said, in jail, I founded your church in joy. In jail, I founded your church in joy. And what will mark you as a church is joy. I always pray with joy for you. It's profoundly joyful but it's joyful because they have joined him as partners in the gospel. Paul is not his own anymore when it comes to starting a church in Philippi. He's left behind people who are committed to God and committed to see the good news go out. And so he says, I'm so overjoyed because of your partnership with me in taking this good news out into the world. Partnership 
is a distinctive mark of Christian people. And confidence, not, not just general confidence. Uh, that's the uh, NRMA ad, isn't it? Not just general confidence, but a confidence of this, he says in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. See, Paul has great confidence that God's at work in you and that the work he's begun will not cease until, until when? Until we see Jesus face to face. And so the other distinctive mark of the Christian life is expectation that we will see God face to face. That we will see God face to face. Oh, I'm out of time, but I, 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 I'm short on time. I would love to do a little side rant here. Do you believe that you'll see God face to face or are you just listening to me and hoping that it might be? Paul says he has confidence, great confidence. Oh, won't, won't pursue it, won't pursue it. Here's the thing. Paul is organizing. Paul is organizing his thinking around the gospel. And so he says, I have thanksgiving to Christ. I have a prayer to Christ. I have an expectation of Christ's return. I have confidence in Christ. And he says, I have a partnership with you, Philippians, and joy with you around the gospel, around the good news of Jesus. I take my hope, my prayer, my expectation to Jesus, and I stand with you in great joy and partnership around the gospel. So what I want to encourage you this morning, be encouraged that God will finish his work. If he began a good work in you, guess what? Not going to give up. You might, he won't. How good is that? And I want you to think, Consider how distinctive you are. So if those six Christian distinctives, yep, how distinctive are you? Do any of those, are they a little bit duller in your life? Are there some that you're missing that you think, I I don't know that I have them in my life? I want to encourage you to consider how distinctive you are and ask God to be working them more and more in you. Now, does anyone know where this picture was taken? Anyone want to tell me? Here, okay. Okay. When you drive into the car park over there, the top corner of the car park, that is where this sign was. And the people who are there, so we're sort of sitting, uh, we're sort of sitting in the church building behind that sign now. The people who are there are my friends from church in Wollongong and from another guy who went through college with me. And they said when we started off, we want to come and we want to pray on the site for this church that will be. It was so encouraging to Kara and I because we thought we'd gone to the end of the world. And there was a big green paddock. It's extraordinary to think about, isn't it, Kara? There's a big green paddock where apparently one day somebody might possibly build a church that God help us, who on earth will come along and join us? And here you are. It's profoundly humbling, I've got to say, profoundly humbling. But here's the thing. We had friends that came and joined us and prayed into that big empty field and said, God, do something here. Do something here. And I want you to see friends like that. Have a listen to how Paul writes about the Philippians. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is so friendly with these Philippians, isn't he? He just loves them to bits. I I imagine, uh, so Paul's a Jew, right? A Jew of Jews. He knew all the food laws. He knew that the Gentiles weren't God's important people, that the Jews were God's important people. So at school, as Paul was memorizing the whole of the Hebrew Bible, 
Do you think he was thinking one day, I'm going to be hanging out in Macedonia, calling a bunch of Gentiles my friends? I can assure you he wasn't. Now Paul is in prison in Rome, in the center of the the world. He's in prison for Jesus, one he opposed with all of his heart. And he is writing a love letter to Gentiles in Macedonia. Something happened, didn't it? Genuine Christian friendship broke out. And it was made possible by Jesus. It was made possible because the Philippians had sent a guy called Epaphroditus, great name for kids, if you're looking to name some kids. I think we should have more Epaphrodites uh, in our church. They'd sent Epaphroditus to Rome to support Paul in prison. And he's writing back to them to say, I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you sent him to me. I'm going to send him back to you. But I love you. I absolutely love you. And I love you in Jesus. It wouldn't have been possible without Jesus. And so what I want to ask you is, do you know these sort of gospel friendships? Gospel friendships. Friendships that cross bridges that wouldn't otherwise be crossed without Jesus. And maybe you can look sideways and go, yeah, I didn't expect to be sitting next to you anytime soon. So do you know these Christian friendships? And if you do, how could we express them better than you are now? How do our friendships transcend merely worldly friendship and actually take on and become gospel friendships? I want you to think about that. I want to ask you some questions. Consider, what would you pray for? Quick fire. What would you pray for uh, your sports team? Darren actually puts in a Karen Connect card every now and again for the Sharkies. He did most of last year. What would you pray for your sports team? I guess it depends what's the game. But what would you pray? It's not very difficult to work out what you should pray for your sports team, is it? That they win. Pretty straightforward. What about when it comes to your kids? What, what would you pray for your kids? Yeah, we're a lot younger. That's right. That's correct. That's our first photo of Ruby. How good's that? What would you pray for your kids? Well, I think it depends. What do they really need? What do they really need? And what about when it comes to our church, your church family? What do you pray for your church family? I think it depends what's God's plan for them. What is God's plan for them? And we're going to finish up by thinking about these. Uh, this is one of my favorite things. Anyone know what this is? Oh, yeah. Go, 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 Paul. Saturn V rocket booster. Pay that man there. Fantastic. Big, fat F1 engine. Love it. Okay, all right. Here's what I want you to see. There's an engine for Paul's prayer. He knows what he wants to pray. Have a look with me at verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What he says is love is the engine. How does it work? He says, I want to pray for you to have a wiser love, not a more gooey love, that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. And that as you get more knowledge and love of who God is, that will lead you to more discernment. Discernment enables you to see what is best, not all the rubbish that our world offers us. But if you grow in love of God, you will grow in an understanding of what is best in this world. If you grow in a knowledge of what is best, that will lead you to more pure choices and a holy life. So what's the engine room of Paul's prayer? He says, I want you to grow in love. 
know your God better, you will discern better and you will live better. So that's what he prays for them. So I think we should pray differently then, shouldn't we? If that was Paul's prayer, we should pray like it. This is a thing called the James Webb Telescope. I'm in a space theme at the moment, don't know. Anyway, it's going to go up into space. It's really cool. You like it? You like it. Luke likes it. Ask to him about it later. Okay. What it has to be, it has to be absolutely pure. You see the bunny suits there that they've got on and they're, they're, it's, it's totally pure space. Holy life, holiness is the game. That's what God is on about, a holy life. He wants us to be blameless, to be fruit-filled and to, to be ready for that final day. Holiness is the game. And so if holiness is the game, we should pray differently, shouldn't we? When was the last time you prayed for the holiness of someone that you cared about? No, me either. The fruit of righteousness is a wonderful passage in Galatians 5. It says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. We had a great time in our life group this week saying pick a fruit and pray it. Pick a fruit. Have you picked a fruit? Pray it for yourself this week. God, work this in me more and more. Pick a fruit. Have you done that? I'll go to the next slide. Okay. Uh, I said I wanted to change your worldview. This picture is called Earth Rise. It's taken in 1968 from Apollo 8. I really am on the theme, okay? But here's the thing. No one had ever seen that before. They came around the back of the moon and they watched the earth rise over the moon. No one had ever seen that. It is a totally new world view. I want you to have a different worldview today. I want, to, I want you to see that the most important thing is that God's glory is his will. He wants to be glorified by people. That's his will. So if that's his will, then we see Paul praying not for his situation. Paul didn't say, get me out of jail. He didn't pray for his situation. He prayed for their transformation in light of their destination. Where are you going? You are going to stand before a holy God. What does he want to pray? Not me, but you first for your transformation so that on that final day you might be found blameless and pure when Jesus returns. So if that is true, if that's God's will and our passion, then we should, shouldn't we, pray differently? Here's our challenge. Let me put it together. We need to embrace our identity. What was it? Two things. Saints and servants. Saints and servants. We need to express our distinctives. Does joy characterize us? Does prayer and thankfulness? We need to be people who enjoy our partnership. So if we're on board together in this great mission of God, look across the room and say, I am with you on this journey to glory. We need to enjoy our partnership. And fourthly, we need to expand our prayer, don't we? Don't we need to expand our prayer? This was Paul's prayer for the Philippians. How impoverished my, gee, I hope everyone has a good week and nothing too bad happens, amen. Brothers and sisters, we have to do better, don't we? And Glenn, you did a great job, mate, of lifting our eyes up this morning, so I want to encourage you on that. But let us pray better things for one another that we might be prepared for that final day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you long for us 
to be pure and blameless on the final day, to meet you and enjoy you forever so that praise and glory might go to you. Father, I ask that you would grow our love, that we might be able to discern what is best, Father, so that we might be pure and blameless. Father, forgive us when we mess this up. Forgive us when we praise small and refresh us, Lord, so that we might chase after you and ask great things and see you do great work. For Jesus' sake. Amen.